Okay, Boker Tov, Frelich and Chanukah. As always, uh, we dedicate our learning in this uh, Emuna class. Le'ilinish Mashendel Gittel Bas Chaim Shaul. We're on page Memdal and Mesiva Shalom. We've been going through these uh, prakam that deal with uh, Emuna, the definition and the uh, inspiration to lead our lives with a greater sense of the presence of the Almighty, of His guiding hand in our lives. So we're in the bottom paragraph of the right-hand column on page Mem Dalet. Says the Slana Marebbe, V'od mi yisodei ha'amuna l'ha'amin ki'ata v'chartanu mikol ha'amin. Further in the foundation of Amuna is to know, is to believe that God chose us from among all the nations. Ahavta osanu v'ratzisa banu. That He loves us and that He wants us. V'romantanu mikol l'shanos He exalted us above all the other languages. V'chi Yehudi hu ben melech just as God told us when we were still in Egypt, when we were immersed in the 49 levels of impurity, God called us His firstborn. Now it's interesting, God did not call us His only children. God has many children. All of humanity are God's children. We don't see ourselves as superior to other nations of the world. We are not intrinsically or inherently superior to the Gentiles, we simply are a Bechor, we're God's firstborn. What does it mean to be a firstborn? In the Jewish tradition, the firstborn gets a double portion, they're not pishnaim. they get a double portion within the inheritance, within the estate. A firstborn has greater responsibility, greater obligation. The firstborn is assumed to take over the leadership of their siblings if the parent were to experience their demise. So the firstborn is not inherently greater than the other children, nor do we believe the firstborn is more loved than the other children. The firstborn is uh, your first driver, is your first babysitter, is your first, you know, to a certain degree, they feel it for themselves and you feel it, whether you articulate it or not, that they're a third parent. And then you get a fourth parent and a fifth parent and a sixth parent. And as time goes on, everybody's a parent, there's no children left. But they are, the firstborn is the first to have that kind of sense of responsibility and helping. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God calls us not His only children, though there is a contradiction, because elsewhere it says, Banu Matem Lashem Lokechem, we're God's children, implying we're His only children. Here it says we're His firstborn children, but let's stick with this Pasuk. We are the Bechor, we are God's firstborn children. So again, we're not intrinsically better, we're not more loved or beloved, but we have a greater responsibility. What it means to be chosen is to be chosen for a mission, to be chosen for a responsibility. And not to be chosen to be able to have more rights and entitlements, not to be chosen to be able to see ourselves as superior, but to be chosen towards a mission. And that mission was assigned, that identity or status was attained when we were yet Meshukayim B'mem Shari We were in Egypt, we were assimilated and integrated into a culture that was saturated with decadence and moral depravity and licentiousness, and it was an unethical world. Mitzrayim was the epitome of corruption, the 49th level, whatever the levels look like. I don't know which level we're on today, the 50th level, but whatever the levels look like, they were on the 49th level of this lifestyle. And yet, within that moral confusion and corruption, Hashem says, look, you're going to be my Bechor. You're my firstborn. I've got a mission for you. I've got a life task for you. I want you to go out and I want you to change the world. I want you to be role models. I want you to be um, a light onto the nations. I want you to have an impact on the world around you. It's a beautiful insight of the Chassam Sofer to bring it back to the holiday of Hanukkah that uh, the Gemara says that, that uh, near Hanukkah, 
mitzvah lanicha bepesach habayis. The mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah is to leave it on the entrance of the home. We put the Ner Hanukkah, the Chanukiah, outside the home. We put it, the Gemara tells us, we put it on the, on the left side, the mezuzah is on the right side. We are surrounded by mitzvahs. We'll come back to that in one second. Put it outside the home. However, the Gemara says, B'Sha'as Sakana, when there's a danger, to be identified as a Jewish home, when there's a danger that someone will see the menorah, and they'll start a pogrom, and they'll ransack your house, and they'll beat you, then you can bring the menorah inside, and then you put it on the dining room table. So the Chassam Sofer wonders. Already in his time in Pressburg, a couple hundred years ago, certainly all the more so today in Boca Raton, Florida, all the more so in Israel, where the threat doesn't exist. Well, people might disagree with that, but you know, we have mezuzahs outside. 50% of the homes in Boca are Jewish. So you don't need a menorah outside your home to identify it as being Jewish. If there's a minivan in the driveway and a mezuzah on the doorpost, there's an excellent chance. A Honda Odyssey in the driveway. You know, there's a... Yeah, there's an excellent, uh, there's an excellent chance to Jewish home. So one to the Chassam Sofer, it's not a Shasakana. Where's the danger today? Why do we light our menorah inside the home? Why aren't we following this original design of putting it outside the home? And he says a very powerful lesson. He says, you know, the light of the menorah is to dispel the darkness of the corruption of this world. We live in a very dark world. As of 11 a.m. this morning, it will get even darker. When unfortunately the Secretary of State is giving a major speech to further throw Israel under the bus. But it's a very, it's a very, maybe please God, I'll get laryngitis before this. It's a very, very dark world that we live in. It's a dark world morally, it's a dark world in the isolation of the Jewish state, the Jewish people. It's a dark world. But it's also a dark world in terms of many of the, the values and the, and the morals and the mores that are <clears throat> being spread around the world. The menorah is to dispel the darkness. The menorah is to illuminate the world. So says the Chassam Sofer, once upon a time, a Jewish home was a Yiddish home. Once you got through the threshold of that home, there was a certain sanctity to that environment. The reading material, the watching material, the conversation substance, the attitude, the dress, the mentality. There was a certain a Yiddish flavor. It was a Jewish home steeped in Jewish values, anchored in a Jewish way. Once you got through the doorpost then you knew it was somewhat safe. The outside world, that's where you were subject to influence. But says the Chassam Sofer already in Pressburg a long time ago, all the more so today, says the Chassam Sofer, today, these influences have penetrated the home. The more uh, internet, television, magazines, newspapers, our, our smartphones, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have any of those things. I am saying you should have them in a moderated, filtered way. But... The whole world and all of its influences and all of its images and all of its opportunities and all of its temptations are no longer outside the force field of the Jewish home. Today they're in the Jewish home. So he says, you know where you need the menorah today is not at the entrance blocking the darkness from entering the light. You need it within the home where so much of the darkness has already penetrated in order to maintain and preserve the light, in order to keep the light in in the Jewish home. I told you I'd come back to it, so I'll just repeat it because it's one of my favorite Divrei Torah. It's in the Hanukkah Digest that I published this year, that uh, both of these Divrei Torah. Why is the menorah on the left and the mezuzah on the right? So Chazal says, so you're surrounded by mitzvahs. But what about the fact that we give precedence to the right? You put your right shoe on first, and you tefillin are on, well, not my, my case, I'm a lefty, so my tefillin are on my right arm. But all the, you always give precedence and preference to the right. So just put the mezuzah and the menorah one on top of the other on the right side of the doorpost. So it's a beautiful insight. The truth is both of them are on the right. 
It's all a question of which direction you're going. When you come into the house, you first encounter the mezuzah. And the mezuzah screams the values of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, the unity of Hashem's existence, the values of love, of loyalty, of commitment, of mitzvos, even the way that we position the mezuzah. The Mishnah records in Machlokas whether the mezuzah should be vertical or horizontal. So how do we place it? The Ramah says, not Svardim, Svardim put it straight, straight up. But how do we place it? How do Ashkenazim put it? They put it on a diagonal. The Ramah quotes, and the commentaries wonder, what do you mean, you put it on a diagonal? That's what you call nishtahin nishtaher. You're not Yotze either opinion. You're neither, you're neither straight, you're neither straight, you're neither horizontal, nor are you vertical. So what did you accomplish with the way that we put the mezuzah? In trying to fulfill both opinions, you have fulfilled neither. So why do we do that? So again, I want so a magnificent explanation that the mezuzah is the compromise between the two opinions. And it is perfectly placed on the entrance to the home to remind us, as you walk into the home, there has to be a spirit of compromise. You can't walk into your house and it's my way or the highway. You can't walk into the house and I'm the boss, I say jump, everyone says how high. But the mezuzah is on a diagonal, it's in a compromise to remind us when you walk in on the way into the house, you kiss that mezuzah and you remember that marriage, that family life, that parenting, that to have an attempt of a functional family is, is the spirit of compromise. That's on the right side on the way in. And what's on the right side on the way out? The menorah. The menorah is on the right side on the way out because you carry the light of the menorah with you from the home. You're about to encounter the world. You're about to engage. You're going to the gym. You're going to the supermarket. You're going to work. You're going to... Wherever you're going, you're going to encounter the influences and values of the world. And it's hard to remember that while we accept and participate in and contribute towards so much of the world. Right? As, as modern Torah Jews, we don't believe in isolating ourselves. We don't believe in withdrawing from the world. We don't believe, and that is one solution. And frankly, I should say this on tape, but frankly, the more I encounter the world and I see and counsel people suffering from the influence of the greater world, and the more the world is lopsided and upside down and backwards and has lost its way, the more it's tempting to say, yeah, you know what, those who seclude themselves and isolate and withdraw have it right. And then you realize that they're also part of the whole world, that they also have technology and they're engaged and they're exposed and they have many of the same challenges and it's not the solution to give up. So we believe in engaging in the world and we participate in the world and we contribute to the world around us. But you can't do it unfettered. You can't do it unfiltered. You can't do it as if it's all so wonderful and noble and glorious and that when you leave the house you leave your Judaism behind. It's in the shul, it's in the house. And when I go to work, when I go to the supermarket, when I go to the gym, I just want to fit in. I just want to be like everyone else. I watch and I listen and I say and I do and I admire everyone else. You know? Whatever. Every week another famous singer dies and you'd think like the, the greatest, uh, you know... Uh-huh. And I'm not knocking them. Maybe they're wonderful, but they die from an overdose of this, an addiction uh-huh. to that... And, and it's terrible, they struggle with it, and my heart goes out to them. It's Nebuch, we should care about all people, and we should feel sympathy for their struggle. But they're portrayed as if, as if they're a saint. Mm-hmm. We should give them sainthood, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they, what they contributed to the world, and so on. And it's sad. What we should learn from it is the sadness of how having celebrity, and having money, and having notoriety doesn't bring happiness. Mm-hmm. It leaves many people feeling empty. So we should be learning from the sadness of their loss, rather than... Portraying them as if... So, this is my little uh, monologue over here. So, when, when we encounter, when we go out to the world, the menorah, the light of the menorah should guide us. 
The light of the menorah should illuminate the way for us. It should dispel the darkness. It should remind us that we're Yidin, that we're Jews, and that while we engage in and encounter and participate and draw the best of what the world has to offer, we're not shy and we don't retreat and we don't isolate. We take the best of what the world has to offer, but if we don't do it with our eyes open, judiciously and carefully, then it will be our it will be our ends. So that's this notion, the Atavakartana Mikola Amim, Salam Rebbe is saying that while we were yet Bimemteshare Tumma, right? When we were in Egypt, when we were saturated in the forty ninth level of Tumma, with the worst values and the worst corruption and the worst influences, Hashem said, just then, Bini Bachori Yisrael, you're my Bachor, you're my oldest child. I need you to help me execute my mission in the world. I need to rely on you to drive your siblings, to model for your siblings, to teach your siblings. It's fair or unfair, but how often do we not take the oldest child and say, the siblings are watching you. The model, the precedent that you set. I need your help. We need your guidance. We need you to help be a third quasi-parent. And that's what a Baruch Hu does. He says, I love all my children, Jew and non-Jew alike. I love everyone in the world. They're all Tzelem Elohim. All the human species are all my children and I love them all equally, says Hashem. But I need you to be my Bechor. I need you to help me fulfill my mission in the world, to model for the world, to teach the world, to remind the world. You know, our mission was very set back the last couple of weeks. Unfortunately, numerous observant, so-called observant Jews have been arrested in very prominent scandals in newspapers. Most recently, uh, an Israeli with a very recognizable Jewish name just arrested yesterday at Facebook. And what he did, there's been three or four notable arrests. It sets back our mission. You're not acting like the Bechor. You're acting like the baby in the family, not the Bechor of the family. It makes our work even harder. We have to overcome even more to fulfill to fulfill our mission. Even though normally Now the amazing thing is, what if we're the oldest but we're acting like the baby? What if we're not living up to our mission to teach the world, to model for the world, to transform the world, to illuminate the world? So we paskin, We are children of Hashem either way. Your child's always your child. Even if your child has not adopted your exact vision for the world, your child is not on the path, they're on their own path, the path that you chose. But you know what? Children are children. We love our children unconditionally. As long as they're not root for the Red Sox. There's a, you have to draw a line somewhere. Beautiful. Part of Amuna, he says, the Sefer Basayin, this Rebbe, that the uh, Salon Rebbe is quoting, part of Amuna is not only to believe in Hashem, but if you believe in a Hashem who only loves you when you meet his expectations, then you don't really believe in Hashem. You believe in him as a scary figure. You believe in him as this distant disciplinarian. If you really believe in Hashem the way you're supposed to believe in Hashem, which is to see Hashem as a father, then you know that even when you're disappointing him, he still loves you. Right? What parent doesn't want their children to know? I might have just yelled at you and scolded you and taken away your iPhone and put you in and give you a... Uh, Time out, uh, Potch. No, what am I thinking of? What do you give all the kids? They, they're, they can't go out. They have 
They're grounded. And you ground them. I may have done all these things, but you know what? If a crisis were to occur to you in the middle of my yelling at you, being disappointed in you, punishing you, I would jump to do anything in the world for you. If someone came and aimed a gun at you while I was the greatest disappointed I could ever possibly be in you, I'd still jump in front and take the bullet. That's what it means to be a parent. And that's what a Kurdish Baruch Hu says. Of course I have expectations. B'ni B'chori Yisrael, you're my firstborn. I need you to help execute my mission in the world. Of course I created you. I've chosen you to be the role models to help repair the world. But, Kurdish Baruch Hu says, I want you to know that even when you're disappointing me, when you're B'mem Shari Tumma, I want you to know that that wherever we are, whatever level we are, Hashem is dwelling with us. He's living with us in our most lowly state. You can find Him wherever we possibly are. You know, we say in, in, in Echa that um, it's a description of what was taking place during the time of the Churban, during the time of the destruction that Kol Rafah, all who pursued her, Hisigua, they caught up between the straits. Bein HaMetzarim is the name that we have for between Shavasa Batamas, the 17th of the Tamas, and Tishabav. But we are encouraged to read it not as a historical description that our enemies who pursued us caught up with us, but rather as a mandate for us. Kol Rodfeha, anyone who looks for God, Hisigua Bein HaMetzarim. You know where you could find Him? Bein HaMetzarim. When you're sitting on the floor, when you're crying, when you're mourning, when you feel so lowly and you feel so desperate and you feel so pathetic and you feel so inadequate and you feel such a failure, that's where you could find Hashem sometimes too. He's down there on the floor sitting next to you too. You know, sometimes you're disappointed in your child for certain things and it's when they hit rock bottom even below that that you're not yelling, that you're not screaming, that you're not lecturing, that you're not punishing that you're sitting with your arm around them, that you're comforting, you're saying, I'm here with you in this place. Come, let's get out of it together. I love you, I believe in you, I have faith in you. Kirsh Baruch Hu doesn't, when he sees us in a low place, walk away, withdraw, abandon us. He's got an arm around us. And he says, I'm, I'm with you here. I love you and I believe in you. And I, I want to help you. And I want to raise you up. This is what he had said last week. We say it right now. The holiday of Hanukkah, we're saying it every morning in the Tehillim that we're reciting, that the nations of the world, inaccurately, in error, they believe that a Baruch Hu is so great. Philosophers believe that God is so omniscient, omnipotent, so great, that He's far away, He's distant. It would be beneath Him to be involved in the world. And what do we believe? What do we sing in Hallel? Kodesh Baruch Hu is, Mik Hashem Elokeinu Who is as great as God? Hamashpili liros bashamayim uva'aretz. Hamashpili, he lowers himself, liros, to see in the heavens, but also ba'aretz, that he's imo anochi b'tzara, that he's shochin itam b'soch tumosam, that Akash Baruch is with us on the ground, arm around us, comforting us, telling us he believes in us, that a child's a child, and even if we're not meeting our expectations, b'chore Yisrael, nevertheless, rebonam atem l'makom. Ha'amuna b'borei olam yizbarach shemo, shu borei omanig, Makora be Amunas Khidisha Olum Bamaisa Bracious. By Amunash Anakto Ama Nifkar Makora be Amunas Yitzyas Mitzrayim. So there's two parts of our Amuna. There's a part of our Amuna about the God of creation. There's the creator of the universe. That's the all powerful God who ex nihilo, which is Latin and fancy way of saying, mm-hmm. he created something from nothing. Something from nothing. There's a joke they say about, you know, God challenges somebody who thinks that they're God. 
an arrogant person who thinks he's God. So God says, I'll tell you what, let me see, you think you're God, you think you're as great as I am? Let me give you a challenge. I want you, I created the world, I created the human being, create the human being. So the guy goes to Home Depot, and he goes up and down the aisles, and he buys all the materials, and he buys all the goods, and he comes back, and he tells God, no problem, I could do what you did. And he starts to assemble the materials in order to fashion a man. And God looks at him and he says, uh-uh, those are my materials. Start again. Let's see you start from scratch. In other words, when we create everything we create, we get the head start of Lowe's or Home Depot. We get the ingredients, we get the materials. So that when, we met, when we're able to craft a magnificent building or literature or art or sculpture or painting, it's our creativity and we should be proud of our unique impression we've made. But the materials, the fundamentals of it, we weren't able to create something from nothing. We had a head start. We had materials to work with. Kodesh Baruch Hu's greatness, and we can't even relate to this because we don't even know what nothing looks like. To be impressed by something from nothing, you have to know what nothing looks like. We live in a world with something. We don't know what nothing looks like. But if you can imagine what nothing looks like, the impressive thing about God is that He created something from nothing. And that's the level of Amuna, the part of Amuna, that who bore manhig, that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is the creator of the world and then He interacts with the world. That's in fact the most impressive thing. My Tamar spoke about in her Bat Mitzvah speech this week. That that is the more impressive thing. And yet, Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't introduce himself to it, the most impressive thing in his resume. He doesn't open, with the, open up with the most impressive thing, that I am the Bore Olam. I created something from nothing. None of you ever have, none of you ever will, none of you ever can. So know that I'm the only one who ever has created something from nothing. He doesn't start with that. How does he introduce himself to us? Mm-hmm. Nice to meet you. I'm the Lord your God. I took you out of Egypt. I took you out of Egypt. It's nice. But you know what? Other peoples have been liberated from other places. Other people have been freed from other bondage. Abraham Lincoln, nice to meet you. I'm Abe. I freed the slaves. I liberated you. you know, God and Abraham Lincoln, the same sentence, the same category. So why did HaKadosh Baruch skip over the I am God who created the whole world, most impressive thing ever, to I'm God who, like Abraham Lincoln, I freed the slaves. I took you out of Egypt. So the Kuzari, Rabbi Yudan Levi says, you know why? God created the world, that's nice, I wasn't there for it. It's nice, I didn't see it. It's nice, I can't really relate to it. But God, you took my great-great-grandparents out of Egypt when they were suffering. I I can relate to that because I've got struggles or challenges in my life. I've read and watched Holocaust movies I see in the world today continued genocide and suffering. So I understand what that means, that you were there and took them out. And that's personal. You know why? Because once a year, I sit down around a table with a comfortable pillow and some uncomfortable bread. And, <laughs> and I hear my parents tell me the story from within the family, that they heard from their parents, who 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 heard from their parents, from their parents how you, God, took them out of Mitzrayim. In the same way that I can hear from grandparents the day that they were liberated from Auschwitz, and that is a personal family narrative, and what that means to know that story. And do we sit there and say, I don't know if Auschwitz really existed. And maybe they're exaggerating the story about the way they were liberated. No. Say, I heard it from my grandparents, and therefore I told my children. And when our children or grandchildren who never met our grandparents will hear the story of how they were liberated, they're not going to say, eh, I'm not sure I really believe it. It's exaggerated. How do I know it's true? You're going to say, you know what? I heard it from my parents who heard it from their, my parents who heard it from their parents who heard it from their parents at the Seder every year. And it's part of, I know it's true. 
And that's the level of relationship we have with the story of leaving Mitzrayim. Heard it from my parents, who heard it from their parents, who heard it from their parents, and so on. So it's not that I read it in a book. It's not that it's a leap of faith to believe it happened. I know God took us out of Egypt because I've heard it person to person, ish mi pi ish, from those who experienced it themselves. And so God says, if I have the choice between impressing you by telling you that I created the world ex nihilo, something from nothing, or reminding you that when your great-great-grandparents were in the most difficult, constrained moment of their life, I came, when they least anticipated it and they didn't even believe it could happen, and we transformed things and got them out. And I want you to know, I love you, and I'm there for you, and I will always be, have your back, and you can count on me. That's much more personal. That's what God wants us to know. So says Islam Rebbe, there are these two components to Amuna. There's the component of Amuna of believing in the God who created the world, but there's also the component of Amuna of the God of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. V'nir mezu yachtav shnei yisodos Amuna halalu b'mitzvah Amuna anichlalas b'mamar noch yashem lakiachashat tesichem eretz Mitzrayim. And both of these components of Amuna, the God who created the world, also God who created the world might have moved on to something else. Who says he continues to interact with the world? Who says he knows anything about my life? Who says he cares about me? Bechlal. So God therefore says, both, I am the Lord your God, but I also took you out of Egypt. I am the Lord who created the world, but I'm also your God. We say this every time we make a bracha. Every single time we make a bracha. Baruch atah Hashem. Blessed are you, Hashem. Creator, you created everything. Everything in the whole universe, it's all you. It's because you continue to recreate it every moment. You refresh. You press refresh every moment on the screen. That's why we're still here. You're the king. You're the whole world. Baruch atah Hashem. And right away, what do we say? Elokei knew. You're not just this abstract. You're not just this theoretical. You're not just a philosophical God who created the world. But you're Eloke new. You're my God. You're involved in my life. You know what's going on. You know everything I do, everything I think. You're proud of me. I can give you nachas. You get disappointed in me. We have a relationship. I love you. You love me. You have my back. Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu. We begin Shemona Esrei. Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Elokei Avoseinu. You're our God, you're the God of our forefathers. Which also means, you're not just the God of Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, you're Elokei Nu. Well, there are many gods. God forbid, it sounds like you start Shemona Esrei as if there's many gods. There's Elokei Nu, that's one. Elokei Avoseinu, two. Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. Five gods, Chalila, Chas V'Shalom. Five gods that we're beginning Shemona Esrei with. I mean, we could consolidate here and save a little bit of time, three times a day. Just talk about one God. Why the repetition? Elokei, no, Elokei, I will say, Elokei, Avram, Elokei, Yitzchak, Elokei, Yaakov. And why not just say, Elokei, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov? Why is it Elokei, Avram, Elokei, Yitzchak, Elokei, Yaakov? Why separately, each one? I think the answer is that each one had a different, unique relationship with Hashem. They all worshipped, we all worship the same Hashem. But we all have unique life circumstances. We come from different backgrounds, we have different parents, we have different talents, we have different skills. We have different challenges. Life deals us all different cards. No two people look the same. No two people have an identical relationship with Hashem. Each of our relationships themselves function in cycles. 
of closeness and of distance, of intimacy and of alienation, we ourselves fluctuate in our relationship with Hashem. No two people have the exact same relationship with Hashem. So it's a lokeinu, lokeavasen. You're our God. I believe in you partly because you're the God of my forefathers, my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents. They experienced your love. They know your existence. They've passed on to me. And part of why I embrace your here is because I heard it from them. But if that's the totality of my relationship with you, and I don't see it or feel it for myself, eventually I'm going to be out of there. Eventually I'm not going to feel it. So I have to also nurture and develop my own relationship with you. So partly I connect with Hashem because He's Elokei Avoseinu. And partially He's Elokeinu, partially because He's my God. And I am given strength to know that He was Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, and Elokei Yaakov. That our Avos, our forefathers, each had, they each fashioned their own unique, special, inimitable relationship with Hashem. And we too can have our own style, our own communication, our own love affair with the Ribbono Shalom. That last sentence is the most important. So the two components of the God is the creator of the whole universe, the omnipotent, omniscient God, and the God who took us out of Mitzrayim, who's still involved, who still knows, who still loves. To only believe in one of the two is a deficient emuna. It's a, it's a corrupt emuna. For us as Jews, I can't just, well, yeah, I believe in a creator, but what does that have to do with my life? Or I believe he's involved in everything I do, but somehow he's not all-powerful, didn't create the whole world. It's the combination of the two, which is the most authentic, proper path and experience of, of Emunah. It's the two in combination that we believe in. That's what Hanukkah is all about. It's the lights that we talked about on the way out of the house. It's the light that illuminates the house and dispels the darkness of those influences. But the, the Hashmonayim, the Rabbim B'yad Ma'atim, the, the many who fell in the hands of the few, all that we sing in Al-Hanisim, is the result of the Amuna and Bitochen of the Hashmonayim, who screamed, Mila Shem Eli. Stop looking at the numbers. Stop looking about how we're outnumbered. Stop looking about how the UN treats us unfairly. Mila Shem Eli. If you're going to rely on and depend on the United Nations, John Kerry and Barack Obama, then you're going to get stabbed in the back in the 11th hour. That's not what it's about. Mila Shem Eli, said the Hashmonayim. Said the Maccabim, who's, who's, who believes in Hashem? Come with me. That even though we're the few, we're going to defeat the many. That even though we're the weak, we're going to defeat, defeat the mighty. That's exactly what this entire holiday is all about. And it's equally the miracle. You know, we light the candles and we give the presents and we fry the latkes, but we forget the other part of the miracle. In fact, there's a big machlokas, which is the, the Gemara says, my Hanukkah. According to some, what the Gemara is debating is, which is the Ikernes, which is the core miracle? The military victory? You know, the Six-Day War, which was the miracle? Or the fact that the oil lasted? So we all focus on the oil lasting because we have the menorah, the Chanukiah. But we forget the Alanisim doesn't mention the menorah. The Alanisim doesn't talk about the oil lasting eight days. So the great thing going around, if you can't relate to the miracle of Hanukkah, it's like your cell phone battery being at 10% and lasting eight more days. That's Hanukkah. So, we all, the Al-Anisim doesn't talk about the oil lasting. The Al-Anisim talks about the military victory because that too is a component. Mila Shem that on this painful Hanukkah, this joyous, happy Hanukkah of light, but also at the same time very painful because of what's happening, what may happen this morning in an hour and a half. On this painful Hanukkah, we have to remember Mila Shem 
that we, the Ma'atim, can defeat the Rabbim. We, the Chalashim, can defeat the Giborim. That we can, we can defeat in, in supernatural ways if we answer the call of the Mila Shamelai. If we put our bitachon and our faith to remember how we got here and where we're going and upon whom we need to rely. So I want to wish everyone a happy, wonderful Hanukkah and uh, that we answer the call of Mila Shamelai.